Well, if you take a copy of God's Word uh, and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, I've just given you our, uh, my main two points, that God is mighty and He cares for us as we think about anxiety this morning. You'll note that we're coming close to the end of our series on 1 Peter, and y'all, I've been praying and I still don't know where we're going next. Um, and that fills me with a little bit of anxiety. And so uh, I, I covet your prayers. Um, I've got a few one-offs that I want to deal with, but um, pray the Lord would make it clear where we ought to go next to church. Uh, we're looking only at verses 6 and 7 this morning. We looked at verse 6 last week as we looked at it with verse 5, but to give us some context, I want to read from verses uh, 6 to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice that you have given us your word, that you have not left us without instructions, that you have not left us without your mind in print, We rejoice that Your Word is trustworthy and true, every bit of it. We pray, Lord, that by the same Holy Spirit who inspired and superintended the efforts of Peter, that You would send him as well this morning, that we might understand. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's begin this morning with a little confession. Um, We all struggle with anxiety, every one of us, to some degree or, or other. Uh, For some, you face days of intense anxiety where you go from one thought of anxiety to the other. Uh, Perhaps we've all been there at some point in our lives. Um, But we all know the feeling, I know you do, of, of ice water dropping in your veins. Of the weight, the crushing weight of an elephant on your chest. Or the shakes or the shivers. Or that you can't go to sleep feeling that you get when your mind won't shut off. The reality is that we all know what anxiety feels like. And I, for one, am looking forward to heaven where that's no longer a plague in my own life. But you know, here's the thing. We, we know that Jesus tells us it is foolishness and indeed sin to be anxious and to worry And yet our lives still very much are often defined by it or at least characterized by it. Matthew 6, 27, Jesus says, And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Peter is writing to a group of believers who have a lot to be anxious about. 
You'll remember from our time together that they are facing social ostracism, that because of their newfound faith in Christ Jesus, they were increasingly being disowned by their family and and forsaken by their business contacts. And and those in the streets would, would no longer acknowledge them, indeed would just lead to persecution of them. They didn't worship carved idols, and so they were seen as atheists. They were suspected as being bad Roman citizens or subjects because they wouldn't sacrifice yearly to the emperor and would not declare that he was indeed Lord, something that only belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many were losing their jobs because they wouldn't sacrifice to the idols of the local trade guilds. They had a lot of reasons to be anxious. And in the midst of this, Peter says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. But let's be honest, so often that's the last thing that we do with our anxieties. Um, Certainly you've seen how a pressure cooker works, right? So often that's how we deal with our anxieties. We we throw it in the pressure cooker, we we stuff as much as we can, and we put the lid on and then we stuff some more through that little bitty hole at the very top until it's overflowing and then we crank up the heat and then we want to look at it from the inside and our, our insides are in turmoil. You've seen what Mentos do in Diet Coke? Have you seen these online videos? If you take a, a bottle of Diet Coke and you unscrew the top and you put those, you know, the Mentos candies, the fresh maker, if you put the Mentos candies down in it, the, the Diet Coke just goes everywhere. It shoots way up to the top. It would hit the ceiling here. I don't know why, but that's what it does. You take something that is already unstable, Diet Coke, and you put something that just makes it more unstable and it just goes everywhere. This is what our lives are like so often with anxiety. We're already fizzy, we're already bursting forth, we're already unstable, and then you throw in all of these reasons to be anxious, and it just goes everywhere. And yet Jesus tells us to cast our anxieties upon Him. Instead of bottling them up, instead of stewing them over in our mind, that's that's how I often do it, I'll have a reason that gives me anxiety, and I'll just keep rehearsing it over and over and over again in my mind, which just makes it worse and worse and worse. Or perhaps you struggle more with the other extreme of of just denial. Of denying that you're facing anxiety. Denying that you have reasons that are making you anxious. And it turns out that that doesn't work very well either. We have to deal with our emotions and we will either deal with them now or later. And when we put it off, it just gets worse. You see that everywhere from anxiety to mourning. um, Every kind of emotion. Instead, we are to cast them upon God. The word here is a one-time kind of thing, flinging it far from us. For those of you who like to fish, this is the same verb. This is what you do when you cast your rod. You cast it far away from you, in a direction away from you. We cast it upon the Lord with a purpose. When you cast a a rod, when you cast your lure, you have the purpose of catching a fish. And when we cast our cares upon the Lord, we have the purpose, the end result of the peace that transcends all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But if you're like me, um, I like to fly fish. I'm not any good at it, but I really enjoy it. And it's a lot different than using a Zebco. You know, if you get a Zebco, you know, it's, uh, 
you push the button and you fling it as far as you can. The heavier the weight on the end, the further it's going to go. But when, we're, when you're fly fishing, you take your rod and you go back and forth and back and forth. Now, if you're any good at it, you only do it a couple times. But if you're like me, you, do it, you have to do it a whole bunch of times in order to get it to work. And the whole time I'm looking at that fly, which is the last thing you do, and I just keep meditating over and over again. And that's what I do with my anxiety. I cast it out before the Lord, and then I just pull it right back. Then I cast it out again, and man, if that's not quite right, i got to pull it back again. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Instead, we are called to entrust, once and for all, to entrust, to cast our anxieties on the Lord. Peter here is probably thinking of Psalm 55, 22, which says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. How do we do this? How do we entrust? How do we cast our anxieties upon Jesus? There's that quintessential text, amazing text in Philippians 5b through 7. The Lord is at hand. He is near. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does it look like actively to cast our our concerns upon the Lord? It's specific prayer. If all we have time for is, Lord, help me, that's okay. You pray it and you keep moving. When we have more time, which is what we usually do, it's so helpful to be specific. Lord, I am anxious about this because of that person who did this to me with this result, and I'm scared of this, that, and the other. Being as specific as we can, casting those things upon the Lord. Instead of bottling them up, instead of um, trying to forget them, we cast them on Jesus. Why? In our text, we're given two very important reasons why we are called to and we can entrust, cast our anxieties upon the Lord. And the first is that He is mighty. He is mighty. You know, when you're casting a, a, a when you're fishing, when you cast, you don't cast an empty hook, do you? You don't entrust yourself to an empty hook. You entrust yourself to something that's going to do the job. And we entrust our cares to someone who can and has the ability to fight for us and in His might and in His power come to our rescue. The problem is that we often believe lies. And the first is that we are actually in charge and control or at least ought to be. So many of our um, anxieties come from the rub of feeling that we're in control, or at least ought to be, and being shown that we're not. Think about that. What are the things that bring you anxiety? So often it is because you cannot control the situation. I know this all too well in my own life. Where does this idea come from? Our context helps us with this. It's our pride. The idea that I can control anything in my life is rather foolish. I chose what I was going to wear this morning, but you know, I didn't have control whether Hurricane Irma would wipe out my wardrobe or not. Even the small things that I think I'm in charge of, I have control over, I really am helpless. 
Only God is the one who is in control. In our pride, we think we can control things. We think we can change someone's heart. We think we can uh, change a situation, make it turn out better. The reality is that we are without the ability really to control anything, including our own hearts, unless the Spirit resides within us. Can we change our health? Can we change our boss? Can we change our coworker? Can we change our children? The reality is that we cannot. Verse 6 says, to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Verse 7 tells us how. Casting our anxiety on Him. The first step really to, to, to dealing with our anxiety and casting them on Jesus is realizing that He is mighty and we are not. And we run to the one who has the power to do something. We forsake our own ability to control a situation and we cast our cares on the one who acts. And the one who has all power and all authority and all dominion and all glory. Sometimes we believe that God can't help us, that something's beyond His control. I know where I'm most tempted to believe that is when it's an interrelational thing. That that's beyond God's control. There's nothing that's beyond His control. We see God's might displayed throughout the Bible, but just a couple things to help us remember. Do you remember who made all things? You know, we think there are three trillion galaxies, and our galaxy alone has a billion stars. That's a lot of stars. He has set the the stars in their courses above, as we sang earlier. And yet we think that He can do that, and yet He cannot fix X. Or He cannot see me through Y. Or He would never give me peace in the midst of Z. He has sustained all things. He created all things. Even as we look at the the swirling of Hurricane Irma, pales in comparison to Irma's Creator. This is but a a little speck of sand in the great pile of God's grandeur and might. This is how powerful your Savior is. We see His might displayed on behalf of His people in Israel, with Israel. We we see the ten plagues that that God brought down on Pharaoh and his household in all of Egypt, showing... Just how um, empty the Egyptian gods were. Don't you remember the last one? How, how the Lord would save His firstborn son Israel. Scripture speaks of Israel this way. His firstborn. By killing the firstborn of Pharaoh and every Egyptian household. And don't you remember when Pharaoh's army surrounded God's people on the peninsula into the Red Sea. And here was Pharaoh's army coming And God provided a way through and the very means by their salvation was the same way He brought judgment upon Pharaoh and wiped out His army so that they wouldn't follow uh, God's people for the next 40 years in the wilderness. God's might is displayed time and time again if we open our eyes to the world around us and to the Scriptures before us. God is mighty. You know, one of the best ways to deal with anxiety very practically in addition to prayer is, uh, is to use worship or praise as a weapon. Kevin, uh, Brother Kevin next door, 
had me over to his office a few weeks ago to watch a great sermon by Louis Giglio, who has struggled with debilitating anxiety. And it's his story of how he began to use worship and praise as a weapon against his anxiety. And he just very practically says when the anxiety would start to hit, he'd start singing. And not an academic kind of, oh, I'm singing, I'm singing, but actually singing. And he had a simple praise course that became his anxiety song. And I've seen it work so well in my own life. I commend it to you. The two that are are on my lips in the midst of anxiety, when they start to infest my brain and they start going around and around and around again, is the doxology and the glory of poetry. The doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. The glory of poetry. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. It turns out our minds only can think about one thing at one time. We discipline ourselves in prayer and praise as we come before the mighty God who can handle anything. But the second thing we see in this is very explicitly put, very simply put in verse 7, because He cares for you. What great news. You know, there are many mighty armies in this world who are very powerful but have no care for you whatsoever. It is not enough just to be powerful. It has to be powerful in conjunction with care and love. Because God is very clear about what he, how His might and His power are directed at His enemies. But we who were the enemies of God have been brought near and now are friends of God. His people, His children, co-heirs with Christ. Adopted into His family, He cares for you. But how frequently we forget in those moments of anxiety that God loves us. We act as if we're orphans. We act as if God were going to forsake us at any moment. We act as if God actually knew what was going on, then He would do something about it. And because He's not, that means He doesn't love me. We believe that lie all too quickly. But do you know what? It's not true. When the disciples were in the boat, in Mark chapter 6, 4 rather, Mark chapter 4 Uh, When the the seas were swamping the boat. Do you remember what they said? They they were worried about the the boat. They were worried about dying. But that's not what they asked Jesus. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This was the greater rub for them. What they knew about Jesus didn't fit with the situation. Don't you care that we are perishing? How often in our own hearts do we fall into that same sinful pattern of thought, Lord, you really must not care about me right now. Let me remind you, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, He will stay close beside me all the way. He's prepared a home for me, and one day His face I'll see. He will never leave us. And He will never forsake us. We are not spiritual orphans. We have a Father who loves us and has sent His Son, the Good Shepherd, to die for us. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God's love for you is not dependent on your performance. Let me say that again. His love for you is not dependent uh, dependent upon your performance. It is dependent on the performance of His Son, which was perfect. And there's nothing that we can do to change God's love for us. 
He may use difficult situations in our lives to discipline us. But something bad did not come into our lives because we didn't do our Bible study this morning. We've had a dry season in prayer. Or I've had a hard time with X. God's love does not wax or wane, diminish or grow because it is constant, it is perfect, and it is everlasting. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love towards those who call upon His name. God does not deal us according to our sins, nor does He repay us according to our iniquities. God loves us. I love this text in Romans 8. It's a great balm when we forget that God loves us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. No, that's the answer. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God is mighty and He loves us. And when we come to moments of anxiety and we can come and praise and remind the Lord and us, Lord, you are mighty and you love me. And you've got this thing. And I cast my anxieties upon you. That's how we defeat anxiety. The reality is that we know ultimately that Christ loves us. The Father The Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they love us. The God Himself, He loves us because the Son would be sent to die on the cross for us. We we spoke earlier of God smiting, it's a good biblical word, right? Uh, Smiting Pharaoh's firstborn son so that the firstborn, his firstborn, Israel, could be saved. And how did they do that? By, by spreading the blood of the lamb on the lintel, the door. And so when the when God passed over their house, he would pass over and not kill their firstborn. But how did this happen? It wasn't ultimately because of the, the blood of a physical lamb. It was because of the blood of the physical God-man, Jesus, the firstborn, the true firstborn of God, His only begotten, that He would be sacrificed for us, that the, that the Israelites, the Old Testament would be saved, and Israel the New, the church, would be saved as well. How do we know that God loves us? Because His might and His love are shown at the cross. That the the fury of His mighty wrath would be poured out upon His Son. So that we might be the recipients of His love and care. Well, to conclude, these promises are for the believer. Those who have put their their faith and, and trust in Jesus Christ. There's a word play here in the Greek. It's, you can't see it in the English. It's this word worry and care from the same word group. And Jesus says that we should not be anxious. But at the same time, it says that God cares for us. That The word play is that we are not to have sinful worries, but God has godly worry over us. 
Like a shepherd worries or has a godly concern over his sheep and his flock, he watches over them to protect them. This is the the, the care that God gives to us. For those are His people. But for those who don't know the Lord, there is another kind of godly worry that must be up and running. And it's the day of judgment. Because we will all stand before God and give answer to all of our words, all of our thoughts, and all of our actions. For the believer, this is a joyous day in which God proclaims before all creation, that's my son, that's mine, I got him. I sent my son to die for him, and we're going to rejoice at all the terrible things this guy's done that my son's paid for, and we're going to give him rewards, what he's done in my name. But for the unbeliever, it is a day of nakedness. A day when... The fury and wrath of God is poured out and it's not combined with His special love for His people. It's a scary day indeed. But know that this worry too can be cast upon the Lord this day. If you cast your sins upon Jesus, your Savior, He will forgive you and cleanse you of every unrighteousness. This He offers you today that you may never have another day of anxiety about where you will spend with Jesus, where you will spend your eternity, for you will be with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have poured out Your wrath upon Your Son, our Savior. We thank You that You love us. We rejoice that You are mighty and You care for us. Lord, forgive us in our anxiety and help us again to cast our anxieties upon You. Lord, that we might live lives of peace that glorify you, enabled um, for, for service, and to live out our days for your glory. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.